You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet The Firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Awwal as-samir min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wala udwan illa ala dhalimin. Wala aqibatu lil muttaqin. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak ala abdika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. The brothers and sisters, inshallah ta'ala tonight we are going to be speaking about one of my favorite companions from the Prophet ﷺ in terms of the uniqueness of his story. And when I say it's a unique story, this is the companion who checks the box of many of the firsts. Many of the firsts would happen to him عنه, in terms of the tragedy, but also the miracles that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala would show uh, through his story. And it is framed within, as I said last week, what I think is probably one of the least covered and emphasized yet most painful moments in the seerah of the Prophet which is the tragedy of Ar-Raji'ah and Bi'r Ma'una together. The two tragedies of Ar-Raji'ah and Bi'r Ma'una, where you had more people killed than Uhud, right after Uhud, massacred, unsuspecting, ambushed against all of the ethics of battle, killed, and subhanAllah, with each one of these people, you have a story. Now, last week we talked about Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And tonight we're going to talk about Khubayb ibn Adi ibn Malik ibn Amir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, before I get to why we're going to really focus and emphasize uh, Khubayb, I wanted to subhanAllah just point out something that's really interesting. Uh, the name Khubayb in the Arabic language is the Tasleer of Khabbab. It is the uh, smaller version of Khabbab, literally small Khabbab. And if you read in the story of the Muhajireen, you probably will not find a man who was tortured consistently worse than Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Khabbab and Bilal, their names are inseparable from one another because of the torture. And just to remind you, Khabbab radiallahu anhu was the one who was taken as a prisoner and the woman used to put burning hot coal on the back of his head and let it run down his back and it burned all of the skin off of his back radiallahu ta'ala anhu and in Mecca you would for an extended period of time hear this man screaming in the streets of Mecca as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested him in the early days of Islam. Probably again, the most tortured man in Mecca radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Khubayb radiallahu anhu from the Ansar, little Khabbab will be tortured in an unprecedented way radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And there are miracles to uh, both of them. So it's interesting that even later on, Khubayb, uh, the son of Abdullah ibn Zubayr has a story very similar to them. Khubayb represents a figure in history of someone who is persecuted for standing for the truth radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now last week we spoke about Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu. And uh, inshallah ta'ala tonight we're gonna hone in on Khubayb. And Khubayb is from the tribe of Banu Amr ibn Awf from 
Al-Aws. Those of you that remember, we talked about, I believe it was right after or right before Jabir ibn Abdullah, we talked about the history of Quba. So Masjid Quba was basically occupied by Banu Amr ibn Aws. This was their area, the area of Quba. So he's from those original Ansar that received the Prophet in Quba and cared for him alayhi salatu wasalam. So we kind of talked about the tribe of Jabir and, and where Qiblatayn is and Banu Salam ibn Awf where Masjid al-Jumu'ah is. So think about Masjid al-Quba, he's in that original hosting tribe of the Prophet that brought the Prophet into Medina and that gave the Prophet everything right away. And uh, he also is one of the Badriyun, he's one of the people of Badr, which in and of itself is a lofty uh, title, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he's one of those who was with the Prophet ﷺ through and through in Uhud. So there's a similarity already between him and Asib ibn Thabit that he's one of the Ansar that stayed the course with the Prophet ﷺ in the battle of Uhud. Now, if you uh, look back at the names, if you wouldn't mind putting the names back on the screen, we talked about this incident in Ar-Rajir where you had this ambush of six of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So we mentioned, and I can't see the screen, but the top three, I believe should be the top three, were those who did not come down from the, uh, that did not come down when they were ambushed in Ar-Rajir. So these three were killed right? And as we said, it was kind of a, a quick decision that they had to make. You have three companions, that basically said, let's hunker down and let's fight. You had three companions that submitted themselves thinking that maybe there would be a way out for them. And the people that had captured them or that had found them in Ar-Rajir gave them all sorts of assurances that if you come down, you will not be harmed. If you come down, you will not be harmed. So the top three, Asim ibn Thabit, Marthad ibn Abi Marthad, who I might talk about in, in Khutbat al-Jumu'ah, Khalid ibn Bukair, these three were martyred in that incident, in the ambush. Then you have the three that came down. So Asim kind of represents the three that stayed and Asim fought until the end anhu, and Allah spared his body in a, in a miraculous way. As for Khubayb, Zayd ibn Dathina and Abdullah ibn Tariq, they came down. And this is where the story kind of continues. And if you uh, actually look at this picture, can you put up Ar-Rajir, a picture of the well of Ar-Rajir? As we said, all of these battles, all these incidents are named after a well. This is actually a picture of the well of Ar-Rajir. So this is exactly where the incident took place in those hills right behind the well of Ar-Rajir. When they came down to the captors, Zayd and Khubayb and Abdullah ibn Tariq were immediately taken into chains and the way that they were dealt with represented a very different spirit from what they were called down to. So when they were captured, their captors said to them, listen, we're really not interested in mistreating you guys. We're just doing this to get some money out of you, maybe take you to Mecca, invoke some sort of a prisoner exchange, get something out of you. But if you come down, we won't hurt you. But the way that they grabbed them, the aggression with which they started to chain them, Abdullah ibn Tariq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, this is the first sign of deception that they're lying to us. They intend to treat us in the worst way possible. 
And so as they were grabbing Abdullah ibn Tariq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he grabbed his sword and he started to fight back and they killed him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he actually was killed around Al-Rajir as well. And that leaves now just two prisoners that will go back to Mecca. And that is Khubayb ibn Adi radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Zayd ibn Dathina radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now there's a thing that Khubayb and Zayd share in common, which is that both of them were a part of Badr, and both of them had a bounty on them because of Badr. Now remember the women that came at Uhud that were beating the drums were coming for their deceased ones from Badr. They wanted revenge for the leaders in Badr. As for Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the one who killed Al-Harith ibn Amr. Al-Harith ibn Amr. Al-Harith ibn Amr was one of the chieftains of Quraysh. And because Khubayb radiallahu anhu killed him in the battle of Badr, they came to Uhud hoping, his family came to Uhud hoping to get revenge on him. And now they have a bounty on his head. Not like the one that Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu had, which was the hundred camels, right? Uh, the, the, the same reward that they had for the Prophet So that was the highest bounty was on Asim ibn Thabit. But still, the family of Al-Harith ibn Amr wanted Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. As for Zayd ibn Dathina, uh, he was part of the killing of Umayyah. Safwan ibn Umayyah wanted Zayd ibn Dathina. So both of them are wanted in Mecca and they've been caught in this incident. And so these, these Hudaylis will take them to Mecca now and basically uh, take them to the highest bidder, which is going to be the family of each one of those that were killed in this situation. So Safwan ibn Umayyah, he purchased Zayd ibn Dathina into slavery and marked him for execution. And Zayd ibn Dathina radiallahu ta'ala anhu is going to be executed in this incident. As for Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he was purchased by a man by the name of, and this is just for those who, who want to uh, take notes, a man by the name of Hujair, Hujair ibn Abi Ihab. Hujair ibn Abi Ihab. And he was the brother, according to Ibn Hajar rahimullah, the brother of Al-Harith ibn Amr from his mother. So they shared a mom. So he's his half-brother. So he took Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he gave him to the children of Al-Harith, specifically Al-Uqba ibn Harith. So Al-Uqba ibn Harith is now going to have Khubayb in his possession radiallahu ta'ala anhu and marks him for execution for his father. Now, this is the very interesting thing that talks about you know, the, the hypocrisy of the people of Mecca. They had a very strange sense of rituals and ethics and how they observe the concept of sanctity. So if you remember last, last week, I said that the actual martyrdom of the Sahaba takes place in Safar, but their captivity actually happens in Muharram. And the Meccans did not want to execute them in a sacred month. And so they basically said, we will hold on to our prisoners until the month of Safar, which is not in a sacred month, a sanctified month, and then we'll execute them then. And so they're, they're going to be held as prisoners until the month of Safar, which is the month that we are in uh, right now. So Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu's story continues. Now, Zayd ibn Dathina, we don't really have too much about his murder or his execution. We just know that he was executed also in the month of Safar in Tan'im radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And some parts of the story of Khubayb get attributed to 
Zayd and vice versa, right? But little bits and pieces here, but we really don't have an extended period or understanding of what's going to happen to him in his captivity. As for Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his captivity is a longer captivity and one in which we get the first-hand narration from the person that was in charge of watching him. I told you there's gonna be a plot twist with this story. Next week is gonna be a hard lesson for some of you to digest because we're gonna talk about the repentance of the murderers. All right? The woman that was in charge of watching Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a woman by the name of Zainab bint al-Harith radiallahu ta'ala anha. Zainab bint al-Harith becomes Muslim later on. She's the daughter of al-Harith bin Amr. So she is in charge of basically taking care of Khubayb, watching the prisoner until the time of execution comes, which is approximately for a month, right? And she is now going to narrate all of the miracles. And as the, the, the ulama say, there is no companion that we find more miracles narrated about than Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so the miracles start. So subhanAllah, I want you to imagine now, Khubayb is a prisoner in Mecca. He knows that he's been marked for execution and that his execution is in about a month's time. What's the first miracle or what's the first thing that Zainab narrates about this incident with Khubayb or about this extended period of imprisonment of Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu? Well, first and foremost, Khubayb is the first prisoner in history to ask for halal meat. All right, now I want you to think about how relevant this is. SubhanAllah, you're in a desperate situation and what are you thinking about, right? What's really going through your mind? She said to him, do you have any requests? He said, do not bring me meat that's been slaughtered in the name of Allah wal Uzza. I don't want it, right? I'd rather starve than eat the meat that's been slaughtered in the name of your idols. So SubhanAllah, you have a person who's observing a taqwa, even in that type of a situation, radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. So Zainab says that's fair. And basically she determines that, and you know, she's going to serve him non-meat items. Because this prisoner is not going to eat meat. He's an interesting man. He's not going to eat the meat of the idols, even if he has to starve and even in this situation. So she narrates the first miracle about him, radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. She says, I would come to him, وَرَأَيْتُهُ يَأْكُلُ مِنْ قِطْفِ عِنَبْ And I saw him and he had these grapes. And listen to how she describes these grapes. She says, Wallahi, those grapes were the size of human heads. You ever seen a grape as big as a human head? I have a pretty big head. Imagine a grape the size of my head, all right? And she had a bunch of grapes or he had a bunch of grapes with him, and he was just sitting there eating these grapes. So the first thing is, I've never seen grapes that big. What is, how does Allah describe the fruits of Al-Jannah, by the way? SubhanAllah, that they resemble just enough. That these are things that we would recognize when we see the fruits of Jannah. May Allah make us from the people of Jannah. Allahumma ameen. You'll see the fruits and you'll say, I know what that is, but it's not exactly the same. And when you bite into it, it's an entirely different thing. So she walks in and she sees Khubayb radiallahu anhu and he's sitting in his prison cell, in his dungeon. And he's got these grapes, the size of human heads. And she says, وَمَا بِمَكَّةَ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ ثَمَرًا And Mecca was not growing any fruits at that time. There was nowhere in Mecca that you could find grapes at that time. I had no idea where he's getting these grapes from. So first time she sees this, it kind of weirds her out. 
But then she comes back and she sees them again and she comes back and she sees them again and she comes back and she sees them again. SubhanAllah, the karamat of the awliya, the miracles of the righteous, always have a semblance to the miracles of the prophets before, right? So it's building off of the miracles that we already know from before. And in this situation, Maryam alayhi salam, obviously, when Zakaria alayhi salam, kullama dakhala alayha Zakaria al-mihrab, wajada indaha rizqa, qala ya Maryamu anna laki hadha, qalat huwa min indillah. Every time Zakaria would come, he'd find that Maryam alayhi salam had fruits out of season with her in an aqsa, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala liberate it. And he would say, where are you getting this from? And she would say, this is from Allah. In Allah yarzuku ma yasha bi ghayri hisab. Allah azawajal provides what he wants without any restriction. So Zainab is a mushrika at this time. She's a, she's a non-believer at this time. She doesn't really know what's, what Islam is all about. She just knows that her father was killed by this man and that he's a prisoner and that we're going to execute him. So she says that eventually I asked him, where are you getting this from? Because <laughs> I'm not giving it to you. And she said that Khubayb radiallahu anhu looked to me and he said, Inna Rabbi yuta'imuni wa yusqini. My Lord feeds me and he gives me nourishment to drink from. So it's the first thing Allah Azzawajal provided for Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu while he was a prisoner in Mecca. Rizq from him, sustenance from him. The first miracle. The second thing that happens, Khubayb radiallahu anhu, as it's getting closer to the time of the execution, he says to Zainab bint al-Harith, he says, can I have a razor? Now back then, the razors are actual razors, right? And she said, why? He said, I want to groom myself for my meeting with my Lord, right? So whether when, when a person is going in ihram, uh, or when a person is about to die, I want to groom myself for my meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Zainab radiallahu anha, she gives him the razor. And Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu takes the razor, he grooms himself, and then Zainab narrates, she says that, I was busy tending to some things in the home, and she said, I had a little baby. And she said, I lost sight of my baby. And basically the dungeons back then are pits in the homes, right? They're, they're somewhere there. I lost sight of my baby. And then I thought to myself, the nightmare would be what? That the prisoner got a hold of the baby. So subhanAllah, she says, I entered upon Khubayb. And this is the exact image she gives. She says, my son was sitting on his lap on one side and he had the razor in his hand on the other side. I want you to think about that, right? So what does she say? She says, فَفَزِعْتُ فَزَعْ I, I gasped, <gasps> like he's gonna kill my son, right? Why wouldn't he kill my baby? Why wouldn't he at least leverage the baby to get himself out of the situation, right? I mean, it wouldn't be looked down upon, at least if he says, you want your baby safe? I've got your baby, I've got the razor. Then you need to free me from captivity. But what does she say? She says that he looked at me, he's holding the razor, he's holding the baby. And he said, You think I'm going to kill him? We're not like that. We, the followers of Muhammad are not like that. Which is another lesson, subhanAllah, that, you know, even in these situations, 
Look, these people have just been betrayed. They've been ambushed. They were not marked even by pagan Arab standards as combatants. He just saw his friends killed in the nastiest of ways. He's been betrayed now like three times in a row. And he has a situation where he could leverage to get himself out of that. And he chooses what? The high road. And this is a sign that when you are mazloom, you don't become a zalim. When you are wronged, don't become one who wrongs. Many times a person can be oppressed and then they become an oppressor. And they justify that in their minds by what? Well, I'm being wrong, so I'm gonna wrong someone else now. Or I'm gonna wrong that person, or I'm gonna take it back out on them. And that's when Muslims start to lose their ethics as well, when they lose the moral high ground, right? So Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that we're not like that. We don't kill children. I'm not gonna utilize this situation. So Khubayb radiallahu anhu puts the razor down, takes the baby, hands the baby back to her. And she was shocked. Now you would think if these were decent people on the other side, they'd show mercy on Khubayb radiallahu anhu, right? Absolutely not. It changes nothing for the captors, but it demonstrates the consistency of the captive. And Zainab bint al-Harith, who would go on to narrate all of her life with Khubayb in this regard, she says, Wallahi, and, and actually kana taqul, so she used to repeat this. She said, Wallahi, ma ra'aytu asiran qat khayram min Khubayb. I swear by Allah, I've never seen a prisoner in my life better than Khubayb radiallahu anhu. Like what a man, subhanAllah. First Allah azawajal is providing for him this risk from as sama, this, this sustenance from the heavens. Now, he doesn't take advantage of the situation where he could easily hold that child and use that child to ransom himself out of that situation. As time goes on, the time of his execution uh, nears and they take him to the area of Tan'im. Now, if you're familiar with Tan'im, specifically Masjid Aisha, Tan'im is the closest area outside of the Haram. It's the closest area outside of the Haram. So when you want to do another Umrah or you want to retake your Ihram, you go to Masjid Aisha, right? It's one of the most popular spots there where people go to renew their intention to come back to the Haram, right? And the earliest picture, if you can put it up, that I could find of Tan'im was this one. This is the exact spot of the martyrdom of Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And I want you to think once again about the mindset. These people would take their prisoners out to Tan'im to execute them because they didn't want to execute in the Haram, in the area of the Haram. So you go there to renew your Ihram, they took Khubayb there because they thought that it wasn't right to execute him in the sacred area. So they waited for the sacred month to pass and they took him right to Tan'im where today Masjid Aisha stands. And they plotted to execute him in the worst way that is there. So you leave the Haram for Ihram. They left it to basically crucify this man. And here in this area, you're going to have the first crucifixion in the history of Islam. The first crucifixion in the history of Islam. This was not a practice that was familiar to the Arabs. Now obviously, subhanAllah, you think about how the shaitan had played with the people of Mecca, who used to be an honorable people in so many ways, and now they're just bloodthirsty. Look at it, I mean, they're cutting out the liver of people, Muthila, bi Abdullah ibn Jahsh, they're making examples, mutilating people after their death, 
you know, talking about taking people's body parts. You have the woman who says, I want the head of Asim to drink wine out of his skull. They really lost, subhanAllah, any type of ethics that they had and any type of sense of dignity for their opponents. And so with Khubayb, they decided to crucify him, radiallahu anhu, in the full sense of the word and make an example out of him. And so he's known as the first crucifixion in the history of Islam. So they put up the stake in Tan'im and they hung Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu to be killed. And they decided to torture him for a long time to give him a slow and painful death. So subhanAllah, this man showed them Ihsan and they wanted to make an example out of him. And his key torturers are two, Uqba bin Harith and Abu Sufyan ibn Harb, right? Uqba being the son of Al-Harith and Abu Sufyan, of course, being the leader at that point, the de facto leader of Quraysh. And they started to take at him piece by piece, cut him, dehydrate him, whip him. And they wanted to break his spirit before they killed him. And so they say to him, Tamanna, first and foremost, they say, make a wish. This is their idea of giving a person some sort of goodness, right? Make a wish. What's your last wish? So he said, Da'uni usalli rak'atain. Let me pray two rak'ahs before I die. So they brought him down. They told him, go ahead. So he prayed two rak'ahs and he made it quick. Why do you think he made it quick? What is it? He wanted to come back to Allah soon? Maybe so, that's a, that's a good guess. He didn't want them to think he's afraid of them. SubhanAllah. He came back to them, he prayed two rak'ahs and they were happy to see how quickly he prayed his two rak'ahs. So they thought to, to themselves, like, you know, clearly he didn't go into his khushur and those types of things. And he came to them and he said to them, لَوْلَا أَن تَرَوْ أَنَّ مَا بِي جَزَعٌ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ لَزِتْ He said, Wallahi, if I did not think that you would think that I was afraid of death, that I was delaying my death by prolonging my two rak'ahs, I would have prayed a lot longer. But I didn't want to give you the pleasure of thinking that I was afraid of the shahada. So I made them quick, so I could go back to my Lord quickly, and you would not get that pleasure. You would not think to yourselves that I'm delaying the inevitable. I'm ready to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah, look at the determination, look at the iman, look at the yaqeen, look at the ihsan, Look at this man's certainty in his faith, even in this darkest moment. And he's looking around, there are 40 people around him and not a single person that's with him on his side. And this is what he says. And Abu Hurairah who narrates one side of the hadith, he says, فَكَانَ خُبَيْبٌ هُوَ الَّذِي سَنَّ الرَّكْعَتَيْنِ بِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مُسْلِمٍ قُتِلَ صَبْرًا he said, Khubayb is the one who established the sunnah, because the Prophet ﷺ approved it, of a person who prays two rak'ahs at the time of their death. This becomes a tradition for any captive, for any person that is killed, and there are multiple examples in history where their last wish is to pray two rak'ahs when they're about to be killed. Multiple Muslim prisoners, even from the Sahaba, will establish now this practice. Khubayb radiallahu anhu is the first. So he has that.
praying two rakahs, if you know that you're about to die, as a last act of devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they strung him back up. And I really want you to put yourself in that scene because the irony is most of those people, that those 40 people that were around would become Muslim one day. And you see this one man being beaten, dripping with blood, and all he's doing is remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The dhikr is flowing from the mouth of Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala. And so Abu Sufyan and Uqba ibn al-Harith want to make an example out of him again. They kind of lost the first bout here. The man wanted to pray two rak'ahs and he looked them dead in the eye and said, I didn't want you to think that I was afraid of you, that I was afraid of death, so that's why I made them quick. So they said, bring them down. Bring them down once again. And this time Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu was tortured almost to a point of death. So he's barely alive at this point. He's missing parts of his body. He is bleeding profusely. He's barely there. And they ask him, they say to him, if you could be at home right now. SubhanAllah, look at the test of Iman. This is a test of faith. This is not easy. If you could be at home right now and have Muhammad in your place, would you take it? You see what they try to do? SubhanAllah, they want to get a word of kufr because these people don't understand who they're killing, right? It's what Abu Jahl, when he was on top of Sumayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, you know, murdering her in the worst of ways, he doesn't get it. Why won't you people renounce Muhammad sallallahu Why won't you curse him? We don't understand it. Now, put yourself in, in the fitna here. This is a fitna. The Prophet sallallahu I guarded him, I defended him for the last three years in the most difficult of circumstances. I got sent out on this mission. I was ambushed. My friends were killed. I was made a prisoner. And now I'm dripping with blood being crucified and there's no one else around me. I mean, what's the big deal if I just say something? Maybe if I give them what they want, maybe if I say it, they'll leave me alone, right? They spared Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu, right? And Ammar was forgiven for what he said to get himself out of the murder, out of the situation. Maybe if I just give them what they want, they will leave me alone. Khubayb anhu could barely speak. And he says, Wallahi, I would rather be in this situation than the Prophet ﷺ be pricked by a thorn. Tusibuhu shawka. I'd rather be crucified in this way than have Muhammad ﷺ pricked by a thorn. He said, these people loved Rasulullah more than themselves. They proved it. Uqba and Abu Sufyan were shocked. They were besides themselves. What is it about the followers of Muhammad They just cannot be broken. And so they strung him up. And Abu Sufyan makes a comment to Uqba ibn al-Harith. He says, Wallahi ma ra'aytu min al-nasi ahadan yuhibbu ahadan ka hubbi ashabi Muhammadin Muhammadah. So I swear by Allah, I've never seen a people that love their leader or love someone the way that the followers of Muhammad love Muhammad. We just don't understand. Why? Can't even get a word of dissatisfaction, a word of kufr out of him in those moments. And so they string him back up and they continue with the torture of Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. <clears throat> and as Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu is going through 
the, the worst moments of his torture, and it's nearing towards the end. And again, they left him out there for a long time. He recites this poetry. And the, the poetry, you have the, the shortest version, which is in Al-Bukhari, and then you have the longer version by Ibn Ishaq and Imam bin Kathir and Bidayah wa Nihayah. And I'm going to read the longer, the longer version, inshaAllah ta'ala, because it's, it's deeply profound, subhanAllah, how, how man is thinking even in these moments. He says, لَقَدْ جَمَّعَ الْأَحْزَابُ حَوْلِي وَأَلَّبُوا قَبَائِلَهُمْ وَاسْتَجْمَعُوا كُلَّ مَجْمَعِي وَكُلُّهُمْ مُبْدِ الْعَدَاوَةِ جَاهِدٌ عَلَيَّ لِأَنِّي فِي وَثَاقِي بِمَضْيَعِي وَقَدْ جَمَعُوا أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَنِسَاءَهُمْ وَقُرِّبْتُ مِنْ جِذْعٍ طَوِيلٍ مُمَنَّعِي إِلَى اللَّهِ أَشْكُوا كُرْبَتِي بَعْدَ غُرْبَتِي وَمَا جَمَعَ الْأَحْزَابُ لِي حَوْلَ مَصْرَعِي فَذَا الْعَرْشِ صَبِّرْنِي عَلَى مَا يُرَادُ بِي فَقَدْ بَضَّعُوا لَحْمِي وَقَدْ يَاسَ مَطْمَعِي وَقَدْ خَيَّرُونِ الْكُفْرَ وَالْمَوْتُ دُونَهُ وَقَدْ ذَرَفَتْ عِنَيَّ مِنْ غَيْرِ مَجْزَعِي وَمَا بِي وَمَا بِي جِذَارُ الْمَوْتِ إِنِّي لَمَيِّتٌ وَلَكِنْ جِذَارِي جَحْمُ نَارٍ مُلَفَّعِي وَلَسْتُ أُبَالِي حِينَ أُقْتَلُ مُسْلِمًا عَلَى أَيِّ جَنْبٍ كَانَ لِلَّهِ مَصْرَعِي وَذَلِكَ فِي ذَاتِ الْإِلَاهِ وَإِنْ يَشَأْ يُبَارِكْ عَلَى أَوْصَالِ شِلْوٍ مُمَزَّعِي وَلَسْتُ بِمُبْدٍ لِلْعَدُوِّ تَخَشُّعًا وَلَا جَزَعًا إِنِّي إِلَى اللَّهِ مَرْجِعِي Those of you that know Arabic, it is one of the most profound poems that exist in the history of our tradition. And that's why I read it from start to finish. And for a man to say this as he's being crucified is nothing short of a miracle in and of itself that Allah allows a heart to pour out with that type of poetry. And I'll just translate the best that I can. He says that Jama'a al-Ahzab, the groups have amassed around me and they've gathered their tribes and they've collected themselves. And they even brought out their women and their children to witness as I'm brought out to a large trunk of a palm tree to be crucified. Eat Allah, to Allah I plead of my grief and my estrangement. SubhanAllah al-Qurb is grief and ghurbati, no one around me. I don't see anyone around me that's sympathetic to my case. And the way that these groups have prepared me for my death. Ya al arsh he calls out, O master of the throne, Grant me the sabr with what they intend to do to me. They've cut through my flesh and they've sought to expose my hopes as well. And he said, this is all for Allah. And if he wills, he could bless the severed limbs of my body. And he continues to say, they've given me a choice between kufr and death and death is better. My eyes are tearing, but not out of any fear because I have no fear for death because I know I have to die anyway. He said, I fear only the fire and its leaping flames. So by Allah, and this is the most famous part of the poem, I don't care how I die so long as I die a Muslim. And I don't care on which side I fall for the sake of Allah. And he says, and I will not express any fear to my enemy 
because my return is to my Lord Allah. SubhanAllah. This is what he says as he's being crucified. And the part that's in Al-Bukhari and the one that was repeated and became a repetition for many people throughout history. And this should subhanAllah be the motto by which we carry ourselves in a time of fitan, in a time of tribulation. Oh Allah, don't let me die except as a Muslim. فَلَا you don't know how severe the fitna is going to get. And the Prophet warned the companions, look, things are going to get really tough for you. But don't die except as a Muslim. And he's saying, look, at least I'm dying as a Muslim, even if no one around me is Muslim right now. At least I'm dying a Muslim, and I'm not going to show my enemy any type of fear. Rather, I will show my love to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and my desire to only be with him. This is in and of itself a miracle. And then comes another miracle. As he is leaving this world and he's breathing his last, he realizes that he's not going to get to see the Prophet ﷺ again in this life. SubhanAllah. These people thought about what? They thought day in, day out, how they meet the Prophet ﷺ. And he realizes while he's going to meet Allah, he's leaving behind Muhammad ﷺ. And so his last wish was not the two rak'ahs, but he calls out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of all of these people as they're about to kill him. And he says, Allahumma, laysa ha huna ahadun yuballighu rasulaka anni salam. Oh Allah, there's not a single person here to convey my salam to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These people are not Muslims. There's not a single person here who will convey my salam to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَبَلِّغْهُ أَنْتَ عَنِّي السَّلَامِ Oh Allah, send my salam to the Prophet ﷺ. We ask Allah to send his salam upon Muhammad ﷺ. This is the only man in history that we have the dua. I'm dying. Oh Allah, can you send my salam to the Prophet ﷺ? Because no one here is going to do it for me. And then he makes this dua against the people. And this shows you the permissibility of praying against an oppressor. And this is something that we're going to talk about because this is a difficult thing to reconcile this part and what we're going to talk about next week, which is the people that still became Muslim after these du'as. He says as he's dying, Allahumma ahslihim adada, waqtulhum badada, wala tughadir minhum ahada. Oh Allah, count each and every single one of them, kill each and every single one of them, and do not let a single one of them escape this dua. Wala, don't spare any one of them. Wala tughadir minhum ahada. And in one narration he recited, Innaka intadarhum yudillu ibadak. You let these people live, they're gonna guide the people astray. They're gonna lead the people astray. The dua of Nuh alayhi salam against his people. Now, subhanAllah, when he said that, Muawiyah was a child. And Abu Sufyan was one of the main people carrying out the torture. He said that I was there when Khubayb made that dua as he was dying. And he said, my father, Abu Sufyan, threw me to the ground on my back and then he laid down on his back and the people laid down on their back. And he said, because the Arabs used to believe that if someone invokes a curse upon you, they're a superstitious people, that you could escape the curse if you put your back to the ground right away. 
So the, the power of the dua of Khubayb radiallahu anhu shook these people, even though they were kuffar, the way that he said it shook them. And so their immediate instinct was to resort to their jahili practice to try to save themselves from his dua. And after that, they dealt him a final blow to his chest, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he died crucified. He was martyred as the first crucified person in Islam in Tan'im, where we go to make ihram, to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Umrah and Hajj. This man was crucified to go meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as one of those lofty shuhada. And subhanAllah, this group of people, if you think about the people, the martyrs of Bi'r Ma'una and Ar-Rajir, they had so many miracles in their death. You had Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You had now Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We're not done with what happens after the aftermath. You have Amr ibn Fuhayra. Amr ibn Fuhayra was the guide of the Prophet sallallahu and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in the Hijrah. He was the free slave of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, one of the best of the Sahaba. And in Ma'una, in Bi'r Ma'una, that's when they ambushed 70 of the companions and they killed all of them, even though they were just teachers of the Qur'an. When they stabbed Amr ibn Fuhayra, he said, Fustu Allah. I have succeeded by Allah. Remember the Prophet said, the Shaheed sees his place in Jannah at the first strike. What about these shuhada? Right? What are they seeing? He looked up and he says, Fustu Allah. I have, sur- I have succeeded by Allah. Haram ibn Mulhan, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the brother of Umm Sulaim, radiallahu anhu and the uncle of Anas ibn Malik anhu. He is the one who, a man came behind him. He was the first person to be killed in Bi'r Ma'una. Treachery, again, it was disgusting. Something that the Arabs would not do even in Kufr, but they just killed a group of 70 teachers. They ambushed 70 teachers from the Sahaba. The man came behind him and put the, the, the spear right through his chest and he saw it come out of him. And he looked up and he said the famous words, Fustu Rabb al-Ka'bah. I've succeeded by the Lord of the Ka'bah. And you have all of these stories of people, subhanAllah, that had these miraculous last moments. And the Prophet ﷺ heard of their death on the same day. So the news reached the Prophet ﷺ about the massacre of Bi'r Ma'una and the massacre of Ar-Raji' on the same day. And there was only one survivor, and this is a little graphic, but it's important for you to understand the fear, وَزُلْزِلُوا, what these people lived through. There was only one survivor from Bi'r Ma'una, and his name was Ka'b ibn Zayd. Ka'b ibn Zayd was wounded, and basically he said, I was, pi- I was under a pile of bodies, so they didn't see me when they massacred everyone. So when they left, he pulled himself out of there and he went back to Medina. And then he was a shaheed in Khandaq, subhanAllah. So every single one of those companions died in Bi'r Ma'una and in Ar-Raji' and the one survivor died in the very next campaign of Al-Khandaq. And the Prophet received the news from Jibreel So one of the miracles was that the Prophet is in Medina and before anyone came back to tell the Prophet about what happened, Jibreel came to the Prophet and told him about his companions in Bi'r Ma'una and in Ar-Raji' and the Prophet ﷺ wept. Now Rasulullah ﷺ was given that ability to see his companions from far away as these things were happening to them. So if you remember in the story of Mu'ta, he saw Ja'far anhu fall. He saw Zayd ibn al-Harith fall. He saw Abdullah ibn Rawaha anhu fall. He was witnessing it from thousands of miles away, watching it. 
And here the Prophet says to the companions that all of your companions have perished. They've all been martyred. And subhanAllah, how does he start that off? Out of nowhere. Imagine you're sitting in Medina and you're with the Prophet and then all of a sudden something strikes the Prophet and Ubay ibn Ka'b said, he was struck in the same way that when he would receive revelation. So when the Quran would come to the Prophet he had a very distinct way that his body would change, that his facial expression, you could see that revelation was coming to him. And the Prophet is overtaken. And he says, وَعَلَيْكَ السَّلَامِ يَا خُبَيْبِ SubhanAllah. وَعَلَيْكَ السَّلَامِ يَا خُبَيْبِ Jibreel alayhi salam was sent from Allah to Rasulullah to let him know that while Khubayb was being crucified, he asked Allah to send salam to the Prophet said, وَعَلَيْكَ السَّلَامِ يَا خُبَيْبِ And then the Prophet made dua for the martyrs of Bi'r Ma'una and for the martyrs of Ar-Raji'r. And there's something very real about this, by the way. And again, I want you to carry this because it shows you the complexities, the human emotions, the difficulties in the seerah. In Uhud, when they were knocking the teeth of the Prophet out and they almost killed him, what was the dua that the Prophet was making for the other side? He was saying, Allahumma khfir li qawmi fa'innahum la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, forgive my people, they don't know any better. They're, they're on top of the Prophet himself and they're almost killing him The heart of the Prophet was something else. So while they're trying to kill him, he's making dua for them. But when they killed his companions in this way, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu says, قَنَتَ شَهْرًا بَعْدَ الرُّكُوعَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ يَدْعُوا عَلَىٰ أَحْيَاءٍ مِنْ أَحْيَاءِ الْعَرَبِ That for an entire month, every single one of the five prayers in Medina, the Prophet did qunut and he made dua against the people that martyred the companions in Ma'una and Rajir. He made dua against them. Can you imagine five salawat every single day for a month in Medina, praying behind Rahmatan lil Alameen, alayhi salatu wasalam, a mercy to the world. And he made dua against those people because what they had done had undermined anything that was known to the people at the time. They had stooped to another low and Allah Azawajal had granted a greater level of elevation to those companions that were martyred radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And no one had more miracles than Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And there was one more thing. When Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu was being killed, he was insisting to try to turn his face towards the Qibla. And out of a means of trying to humiliate him, they were turning him away from the Qibla. And as much as they tried, he would fight to keep himself turned towards the Qibla. And subhanAllah, they left him, after they crucified him, they left him hanging. And they found that his body had turned towards the Qibla. And they didn't understand why. Now they knew, subhanAllah, they had just killed a miraculous man. They knew that what they were witnessing was not normal, which is why a lot of these people are going to become Muslim. Right? And the Prophet sent, according to Imam al-Dahaq, rahimahullah, he sent Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Al-Miqdad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, two trustworthy commanders alayhi salatu wasalam, to Tan'im on a secret mission to basically rescue the body of Khubayb radiallahu anhu, to bring it back. Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Miqdad reached the body of Khubayb, said, Wallahi, we found him fresh. This was after a long period of time. His body did not decay in one bit. Fresh. 
like the day that he died radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu put him on his, on his horse and they made their way out of Tan'im and they were pursued. And as Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he threw a spear towards the one that was pursuing him and he said, and I saw the earth swallow him. SubhanAllah, I saw the earth swallow that man. And so Khubayb radiallahu anhu, while he was crucified in Tan'im, he was brought back to Al-Madinah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his body was brought back to Al-Madinah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And you can imagine again the emotion of the Prophet seeing his companion and what was done to him for no other reason except that he said, La ilaha illallah. All of this subhanAllah, for you to obviously appreciate a companion that you probably have heard very little about in Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but also to appreciate the sacrifice that these people made and appreciate this very painful time in the life of the Prophet and appreciate that, look, don't suffocate the oppressed. Do not suffocate the oppressed. Sometimes we only quote the Prophet making dua for the people in Uhud. You know what? He made dua against them as well, but not for himself It wasn't when they hurt him. When they were trying to kill him, he made dua for them. In this situation, when they killed his companions in this way, Rasulullah made dua against them for their zulm. And the Prophet said, beware from the dua of the mazlum. Beware from the supplication of the oppressed. Because there is no hijab between that supplication of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if that person is not a Muslim. Imagine then if the Prophet is making dua against the people. Now the complexity as well, how in the world do some of these people become Muslim and go on to become Sahaba? after the dua of the Prophet against their tribes and after the dua of Khubayb against them to be continued. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we're going to talk about some of the specific companions who witnessed these incidents and actually repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after having carried out some of these vicious incidents against uh, these companions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send his peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam May he send our salam upon him and allow us to receive salam from him. Alayhi salatu salam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with our forefathers, with the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who gave every drop of blood for this cause. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to honor their sacrifices by holding on to this message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa May Allah azza wa jal resurrect us with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa with Khubayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Asim radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Martha radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Amr ibn Fuhair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, with Haram ibn Mulhan radiallahu anhu, and all of these great companions, may Allah azza wa jalla allow us to be their companions in our firdaws al-a'la. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Inshallah ta'ala, I will see you all next week, where we'll talk about the flip side of these incidents. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been the firsts, the forerunners of Islam.